Hello, and welcome to the Eugene Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Vince Casey. This is the first podcast devoted entirely to the Eugene real estate market, where every month we bring on local experts to discuss current trends to help us navigate the ever-changing landscape that is real estate. The Eugene Real Estate Podcast is now sponsored by House to Home Construction. House to Home Construction. Love where you live. This month's guest is Amanda Bomark. Amanda is an escrow officer at Cascade Title. She is also an investor and a landlord that focuses heavily on the up-and-coming town of Vanita. I've invited Amanda on today because she always has a unique take on the market. She is the first person I heard mention assumable loans when the market shifted, and she's always a plethora of information. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm glad you got to make it on. Now, Amanda, we spoke earlier this week and you said most of your property investments are in Vanita because you like to invest in what you know. What do you know about Vanita that gives you so much confidence? Well, Vanita is really special to me uh, because I, I grew up there and my husband and I really believe strongly in investing when we can and when it makes sense in where we live. And in uh, investing where we live, we're able to improve our community and quality of life in our community. And we also, we, we live there. Our kids go to school there. Um, we, we are really invested emotionally and personally in, in that community. And so through investing, we've had a number of opportunities in that community that have always made sense to invest in. But that's always where we look to first. We always first want to put money where we live anytime we have a chance to invest. And a couple examples of that are we're currently building an RV and boat storage facility. And in that project, it's on 10 acres of land. We had to move a lot of dirt. And one of the things that we were able to do is – we donated the dirt and paid all the trucking fees, which are actually quite expensive. And that's going to build uh, the first dog park in Vanita. And so that kicked off that project. Um, and anytime we build or develop in our community, uh, we do a lot of building, we're paying SDC fees. And those SDC fees are a portion of our building permits. And that money goes directly back to services like our schools, like where our kids go to school. Um, and for example, this year, our school district has had such a surplus that at the elementary level, no child paid school supply fees. The schools provided them for every child. Our class size is about 20 kids per class. And um, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. So we're very passionate about our community. That's cool. Are there any like growth patterns that you picked up on coming in there? Are there new projects coming into the city that you're made aware of by being so intertwined with your community? Absolutely. Um, so one of the interesting things um, that you learn a lot as you start to build and develop is you start to learn about things like urban growth boundaries and availability of buildable land. Uh, most of Lane County is actually not buildable. There's a very small percentage of land that is truly buildable. Uh, Eugene has basically reached pretty much the max in terms of the urban growth boundary. And growth in Eugene is going to be up, not out. 
Right. And um, until developers really start to pick up on that and we start to get into the level of high rise, what's going to happen around Eugene is every community surrounding Eugene is going to experience exponential growth. That's where the land is. One of the other things you start to understand really when you develop is, you know, as I'm building things and connecting, I need to connect to city services, sewer, water, things like that. Okay. Um, in some areas, those services are tapped out. So Junction City, for example, basically is at a point where they cannot approve further development because their infrastructure is completely tapped out in terms of their water services. That's a huge deal, right? Vanita upgraded their water infrastructure years ago, okay? They have room for exponential growth. The other thing that's really cool about Vanita is a, a lot of people don't see the specialness in Vanita that... I see the prices out there, my cost to get in on an investment is lower. My room for growth is much higher. Um, right now, currently, there's a development of about 350 single-family homes that's going through the development phase and having infrastructure put in. There's another development right next to one I did that I'm really excited about. It's Bruce Weikert. He's one of my favorite builders, and he's building 51 single-family homes. There is another huge apartment complex going in, and there's a couple of other large-scale developments. Additionally, the commercial market in Benita is really it's on the cusp of taking off. So there's a lot of very exciting projects happening and there's no land in Eugene to speak up for builders to build on. Um, and this market is just going to be really conducive going forward to new construction and that market really probably being the best option for a lot of buyers in terms of interest rates. And so that, that really is going to drive some pretty big movement in population. Additionally, Highway 126 eventually, um, it's, it's going to be widened to four lanes. And that's going to be game-changing when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's good enough for Oregon Country Fair. It's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, you heard it here first, folks. Vanita is on the rise. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you introduced me to assumable loans uh, when rates started to rise which at the time was pretty much unheard of. Now a lot of folks have started to catch on. Um, could you give our listeners an idea of what an assumable loan is and uh, how they work for you? Yeah, assumable loans are, are really great. So all FHA, all VA, those are veteran loans, and all USDA loans are assumable. So all those loans are government loans. And what that means is if you have one of those loans and you're current on your mortgage payments, if you want to sell your property, you do not have to pay off that loan in full through the sale. What could happen is a buyer could qualify that they could make your existing mortgage payment. They take over your current loan balance exactly where it is. They take over your interest rate. They take over your account for taxes and insurance. The reason that's such a huge play right now is just a couple years ago during COVID, we had this, you know, magic in terms of interest rates, right? So there are a ton of people out there sitting on these rates in the twos, in the threes, that have extraordinary low mortgage payments, okay? And they've got money borrowed at far below the rate of inflation, okay? Uh, when you assume a loan, you qualify that you can take over that loan and make the payments from a credit standpoint. 
But the coolest thing about them is that there's no loan fees, okay? No loan fees. And right now that's really big. That's a component I think a lot of people don't look at hard enough when they go out and get traditional financing is they look at the rate, they look at the payment, but they don't look at what they're paying in loan fees, okay? That's a cost of you investing in that property. So no loan fees is huge. So right now, let's say that saves someone like on a starter home, maybe 30K, okay? It's significant. Um, there will be an assumption fee. It's capped federally at a maximum of $900, 900 bucks, okay? Sometimes there's a fee for a credit report. That's a fee that's maybe going to run you, if the bank charges it, somewhere between maybe 25 and 50 bucks. Not much money at all. Um, and then what happens, the big challenge in an assumption is the buyer has to have the difference between whatever that loan balance is sitting at. So let's say, for example, somebody owes $200,000 on their house, okay? But they want to sell it for $300,000. Then the down payment is $100,000. That's how much money the buyer's going to need to have. So the down payment is the challenge. So that's why they're hard. Um, they're a little bit difficult to find. And they're not for everyone. But for a buyer that does have access to the down payment, they can be such a huge win. I mean, you're borrowing money at far below the rate of inflation. Your payment is far below the rate of even what a rental is going to be in this market. You pay no loan fees. You end up over time, if you're getting in on an assumable loan right now that's in the twos or in the threes, over the course of 30 years, you're paying a quarter of the price for that home that someone is going out to the market right now and getting a loan from a lender. A quarter. That's where it's so huge. Um, and so so they're really, really fantastic if you can come up with that down payment, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you um, know of anyone that's been through the process of an assumable loan? Is there any... Um, any cautionary tales? I know they can take about eight weeks to do, so it's not necessarily as quick as going through a lender. Um, but have you seen somebody make a purchase with an assumable loan? They went through the process, and besides time, everything was pretty much smooth? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing, is your time frame is going to be undetermined, right? Um, and it's up to the bank. And the other thing that I find what works best is when I'm working with a buyer on an assumption, and yes, I've done these successfully. Um, what I tell the buyers, you have to understand in a normal loan, when you go to a loan officer and you're asking for them to help you, you're paying them a lot of money to help you. Right. And they are earning a paycheck when they get to the end of that transaction. And they're very motivated to help you get to the finish line. So they're there to help you in this situation. The bank is losing. They are. They don't want you to assume that loan, although you have the right to. Um, and so nobody's going to be like wanting to hold your hand and help you through the process. So what you have to do is you have to be proactive. So what I do when I work on an assumption is I have I I I help the buyer. I say, hey, give me the contact of who you're working with at the bank, and I am emailing that person every day, saying, hey, do you have what you need? I'm having the buyer call in follow up with them. Hey, do you have what you need? What's the list? When a buyer gets a list of things that they might need to provide to qualify for that loan, I help them understand what's on that list. And then we put together the things and get it in as quickly as possible. 
Um, a lot of people also sometimes wonder like, hey, what's the benefit for the seller? Why would the seller want to take longer to go through this process potentially? And here's the win for the seller. In an assumption, there's no appraisal, okay? So the seller is not only selling their home, they're selling their loan and they're selling their interest rate. So they're going to market the property entirely differently or should be right? Than they normally would. And the seller can sell for above market value, right? The buyer's getting this very long-term benefit. Okay. So a seller usually participates in an assumption because they're selling for above market value. Okay. And, and, and that's a really beautiful win for everyone. And that, that can still pencil out really, really well for everyone in the end. Yeah, I could definitely uh, see how that would benefit a seller as well. So yeah, just be the squeaky wheel and you'll get the grease, it sounds like, when working on assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, so besides assumable loans, what other opportunities are you seeing out there? Well, the the few things that I see right now that I think are really exciting um, and can always be really exciting also, not just in this market, um, seller carry situations. So a seller carry situation is a situation in which the seller usually already owns the property free and clear, or perhaps they have a loan with just a small balance on it. And a buyer's down payment, oftentimes in ones we're doing right now, we're usually seeing pretty standard, about a 20%, 25% down payment. So a pretty significant down payment on the property, Right. And then what happens is the seller becomes the bank, okay? So the portion of the price that you're not paying, the seller holds that, and we secure it with a note and a trust deed, exactly the same way a bank would loan someone money, and you pay interest to the seller. Uh, and, and the big question I always get is like, what's a, what's a rate that a seller always charges? And the, the answer is, it's whatever you negotiate, but commonly right now, where I'm seeing a lot of them land that I'm doing is somewhere between probably 5 and 6%, okay? Right. So below market value of an interest rate that you would get from a traditional lender. And again, you're doing a transaction with no loan fees, okay? So that's a pretty big cost savings. And right now what's happening on a lot of those loans is a seller will say, hey, we'll amortize or calculate the payment over 30 years, just like a normal bank would. But instead of giving you 30 years to pay us back all of this money, we're going to put a balloon. So say all the money's due in three years, like three to five years is pretty common to see right now. So the idea is maybe that helps a buyer get into a property right now. It uh, gives them a moment to write out this interest rate storm Maybe they're able to do some improvements to the property, um, make it more valuable. And then before that balloon payment comes due in that three to five years, they're then set up to either refinance the property if interest rates have gone down or make it feasible to do that. Or maybe they're in a position to sell the property and move on to whatever's next. A lot of times these properties that are eligible for seller financing are also a little bit older, a little bit dated, okay? Um, 
And so those are ones that right now in the market that we're in, they're probably not going to fly off the shelf unless sellers do some pretty drastic price reductions. They're probably going to sit. And so the advantage is, you know, a, a lot of times we've got somebody who's older and, and maybe they're going into an assisted living facility. Maybe they're moving in with family. Um, but the house has become a burden to them, right? Somebody's having to go there and take care of it. There's utilities. The lawn has to be mowed. It's, it's a job to have this home and they don't want to rent it out. So that's where a seller carry can be really beautiful for that seller also. It gets rid of the burden of the home. It gets the home sold at a price that is probably really wonderful for current market. And the seller, in addition to the sales price, they get to make interest in addition to the sales price. And we have tools available through Cascade where we're able to set that up in a very professional manner. So we do all the accounting for everyone. There can be automatic payments. You get all the interest reporting forms. It's done exactly the same way a bank would loan someone money. So that's a really beautiful option. But again, challenge there is down payment. Yeah, that's definitely uh, the challenge that usually comes up with those. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we had lunch earlier this week, you were also talking about uh, the Oregon Department of Veteran Affairs is doing something special just for the veterans. Could you tap into that a little bit? Yeah, so that's that's a really great program. And again, something that people can look at in any market, right? Um, and, and one, there's a lot of lenders that may have access to this loan program. But there's one lender in particular, I actually just attended a class this week where they spoke on this particular loan program, and I'm out there constantly educating myself on all the loan programs that are available. So Directors Mortgage and Eugene did do a class on this, and, um, and they do have access to this program. Uh, but Oregon Department of Veteran Affairs has set up its own funds uh, for veterans. So there's federal VA loans, and then there's Oregon Department of Veteran Affairs loans. Okay? okay. So ODVA is specific to a veteran purchasing an owner-occupied single-family home in the state of Oregon. But somebody moving here from out of state can get this money. Okay? Um, they don't have to live in Oregon currently. The other really cool thing about this loan program is that it it has below market interest rates. So I pulled the rate sheet right before I came here today. And so on a 30-year loan, uh, you do have to have 5% down minimum. You can put more than that down if you have more than that. So that's a little bit different. On, on federal VA, you can get 100% financing for a veteran. Um, the rates are about 6.5K on a 30-year mortgage with 5% down. Market rates today on a federal VA loan, I believe they're in the upper sevens, like seven and three quarters-ish, okay? Right. And again, talk with a lender to get exact quotes on these, but this is this is me pulling rough numbers. So you're talking about a full percentage point in savings and interest rate, which is pretty big. And the loan fees on this loan program are also really, really, really good. Um, to qualify for this loan program, you do have to have been on active duty for at least four years with an honorable discharge. Or if you were discharged early, you had to have been 100% disabled from a service-related disability. Um, so that's that's a little bit different than federal VA as well. Um, one other thing that I really love about this is on a federal VA loan, 
every veteran has a certain amount of what's called entitlement, okay? And when you use your entitlement to get a VA loan, that's what allows the VA to give you 100% financing without you needing to pay mortgage insurance, okay? And mortgage insurance is a typical expense on a loan when you put down less than 20%. And it's not anything, it doesn't do anything for you as a borrower. It protects the lender in the event you default, okay? Okay. So entitlement allows you to avoid mortgage insurance and get 100% financing on a federal VA loan. Okay, which is why a lot of people use it. Right now, a lot of people have these federal VA loans and they have these really pretty shiny 2%, 3% interest rates, right? And they don't want to get rid of that pretty loan. And maybe they even want to convert the property into a rental, right? Because they've it would cash flow, it would make sense, right? But the problem is they don't have enough down payment to go out and buy something else without using a VA loan. Well, ODVA solves that. You can get another property for 5% down. So you could be a veteran that has a federal VA loan and keep your entitlement with this loan over here, and you could rent that property out, and you could go out and get an ODVA loan right now for 5% down. And that might make a lot of sense. You could be cash flowing on your rental. That could be helping you make your mortgage payment. And you could be buying up into the next thing. So a lot of veterans might think right now that they're stuck. They can't afford to upgrade. This might be something for them to consider. The other thing that this kind of leans into is when we talk about assumability on VA loans, anyone can assume a VA loan. But if the buyer assuming a VA loan is not a veteran, then the original borrower's entitlement is still tied to that loan, okay? It's not freed up again for them to go out and get another VA loan. So a lot of times when a veteran decides to sell their home to someone assuming their loan, they might require that that buyer be a veteran, okay? ODVA might be a nice segue to let somebody buy your home and assume your loan, sell it for above market value right now, right? Right. And maybe get an ODVA loan to pick up the next property. You can only get four ODVA loans in your lifetime, though. So definitely a few things to consider, but a great option. Man, it sounds like a game changer. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I know a lot of investors have their hands in their pockets right now. Um, this is kind of an unpredictable market. Is there a safe play out there right now that you would recommend or, or something that you would consider a home run during these times? Um, there's a few things that I've seen that are, are interesting. Um, there's one I'm working on now, and it's on 665 Bryant, and it's it's pending. So it's in escrow. So it's not out there for anyone else, but that property would have been a home run for anyone. And, uh, the interest rate is 2.25%. A buyer's assuming that their down payment is looking like it's going to be about 69,000 or so. Um, and it's a great solid little house. And if, if I wasn't, if I wasn't working on the big project that I'm working on now and allocating all my money there, I personally would have brought, bought that property just because it's such a home run. It's a great area in Junction City. Uh, it's on a good-sized lot. 
I would have, I probably would have bought it even if the house was kind of falling over. It was just a bonus that it had like this, it was kind of nicely renovated and it was a good solid little place. Man, that, that, that property is such a win. So I think that's a good one. Um, I think commercial land in the surrounding area, surrounding Eugene, specifically, I'm speaking to Junction City and Vanita. I think long-term, those are going to be huge, huge home runs for investors developing in that area. I mean, the housing is coming along. Uh, again, it's having that vision to look at not not where we are in this moment, but where we are going. Um, I also think that investing anywhere surrounding Eugene, uh, there's areas. It depends on what you want to invest in. Like Coburg, I think that's a great area if you have an idea for something higher end. Your values are going to continue to go up, but to get into that market in Coburg, you're going to pay a lot more money to get in there. Uh, personally, you know, I'm investing in RV and boat storage. You know, I think there's a huge play to be made there. I know there's a huge demand in that market. We have a wait list going. It's very, very difficult to find the land anywhere in Lane County that can support what it is I'm doing. And so, you know, again, I found this piece of property off market. We negotiated a deal. We had the vision. No one else had this vision for this piece of property. But again, it's just what do you need and where is it going? And if you know these pockets in these areas where there's going to be housing and there's going to be things happening, then there's opportunity. Um, campus is going to be interesting, right? Because U of O is part of Big Ten. For them to maximize the dollars that they're getting for Big Ten, they need to add like 10,000 students to U of O. That's a lot. There's yeah. going to be opportunities for things there. So you just, for me as an investor, and when I speak to other investors, first you have to kind of think of what is it that speaks to me? What is it that I want to invest in? What is it that makes sense for me to invest in? What is it that I have money to invest in without overextending? Where do I think things are going? And then do your research and see what it is that plays out. But I absolutely think there are always opportunities in every market. And there's never a day that goes by that I don't look for those opportunities. You always need to be looking, in my opinion. So when you talk about land opportunities, are you talking about buying up swaths of land and just holding them until somebody wants it? Or are you talking about making a minor improvements like well and septic and then putting it back to market? Uh, what's your vision there? Yeah. Uh, well, it depends on what the property is, sure. right? Yeah, and always. it looks it, it looks different for a lot of them. But on the com on the commercial stuff in your smaller towns, I feel like you can't go wrong. You pick it up now, you're paying bottom of the barrel prices, and she's only heading north. So if you want to improve it, great. And there might be some good plays to improve it. There might even be incentives available through the city to improve it, mm -hmm. or. Maybe your play is just sit on it for a moment. And right now, construction costs are expensive. And come January, I mean, concrete in January is going up. Uh, your cost on concrete is going up 20% in January. With labor added in, that's 25%. 25% concrete increasing. That's wild. Construction costs are going to go through the roof. So it also depends on your budgets that you have for the project and what makes sense in that moment. Does it make sense to build it out? Does it make sense to sit on it? 
Um, and there's really not a play for like buying land too much and putting wells and septic on it. Uh, really, so much of our land is not buildable that it's you're in a situation where you're mostly only doing replacement dwellings. Um, there is uh, some lots out on Fernridge Lake. They're not marketed on RMLS yet. But I actually think those are going to be a really great play for someone also. They're about one-acre parcels, lakefront. They're going to have dock access. You're 15 minutes to Eugene. There's not small acreage to build on. Um, I think those are going to be great plays for someone, whether they choose just to pick up the land and hold it or if they build it out. And, you know, you could Airbnb those easily. It could be a second home. It could just be a nice home for yourself. Um, but I absolutely think there's plays out there. It's just, you know, what makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you mentioned Airbnbs. I think that um, a lot more properties pencil when you have that in mind, but uh, it seems like some people are still grasping the concept of those and how to make those pencil um, so that's some areas where we can educate ourselves as well. Um, so I guess one of the main reasons I brought you on today is because you are a landlord and you've been following closely the new landlord tenant laws that Eugene has just put into effect. And I know there's a lot of other folks out there that know this is happening, but may not know the details. Um, could you give us a rundown on what the new laws are and how they affect the relationship between tenants and owners? Yeah, so statewide, we have quite a few regulations um, that have come down the pipeline over the course of the last few years. Uh, City of Eugene has started implementing things on top of those statewide regulations. And they implemented phase one a while ago. Currently, we're at phase two. Phase three is on the horizon. Phase two changes are so complex uh, that the places I get my education from, uh, they've been putting on classes that are pre-recorded that are an hour in length. They've been putting out publications that are several pages long, and they're so complicated that they've even had to go back and print a retraction. And I'm talking like the smartest attorneys in Eugene on landlord-tenant law, okay? So... First and foremost, you're talking about an extremely complex set of rules. I don't okay? like it already. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And and that's that's challenging. You know, when I look at when I look at a lot of the people I get to help in escrow and a lot of people who are landlords, I'm helping a lot of people that are mom and pop landlords and they self-manage. Okay. Uh, I think there's a heck of a lot of people landlords that have no idea these rules are in place and the fines are huge for the landlord they're really huge and I think the unfortunate thing that's going to happen is I think you have some really sweet people that are landlords that are really great landlords and I think they're going to accidentally misstep and I think they're going to find out by being fined and a lot of these people they aren't they aren't living on a yacht right this is how they're making their house payment. This is how they're making the house payment on that property that that tenant lives in, okay? Sure. And it's a problem where one plus one has to equal two. And when you start making the rules so complicated that the average person can't understand them and the resolution 
for those problems are going in front of Eugene City Council, one, city council isn't going to be able to handle the volume. They're going to get backed up and stacked up, and that's going to cause problems for everyone. Two, you run into a situation where people get blindsided by these fines, and it becomes a situation where it no longer financially makes sense for them to have as rentals. And then third, you end up with people just getting this distaste in their mouth, and they go, you know what? All these cities around Eugene, gosh, they don't have any of these rules. They don't have any of these processes. They don't have any of these expenses. Well, shoot, let's sell everything we have in Eugene and let's invest in Springfield. Let's invest in Vanita. Let's invest in Junction City. And that story is literally playing out right now on a small level because, again, not that many people know, but I'm seeing investors liquidate their entire portfolios. And what's happening is these mom and pop landlords, as I call them, they've got a portfolio. Some of them ha do have quite a few rentals at this point, okay? Maybe they have like eight rentals, okay? But guess what's been happening on those rentals? Because they're a mom and pop and they're not a property manager, their tenants have been paying under market rents for years and they're severely under rented. And now those properties are on the market for sale. And with the market we're in and the limited inventory that we have, when that property goes up for sale, guess who's buying that property? Not an investor? Bingo. It's an owner-occupied buyer, okay? What does that owner-occupied buyer have to do? They have to live in the property, okay? So that means the tenants have to move out, and they're now subject to the much, much higher market rates and so all these protections that are supposed to help tenants are really removing housing supply for tenants that are paying below market rents. That's the actuality of what is occurring. And um, the other thing is you've lately had a lot of really great development on multifamily and a lot of really good housing improvements start. But as I mentioned, construction costs are very expensive. And when you build something brand new from the ground up, you have to fill it with tenants before it starts making money back. And right now, um, on new construction, a lot of times when you have a bunch of units to fill all at once, you might incentivize people to move in and fill it up. These new rules put restrictions on, there's some exemptions statewide that new construction is exempt from some of the rules for the first 15 years. That's the reason, right? We need more housing built, and sometimes you have to incentivize people to move in to make an investment cash flow, right? So then it looks different moving forward than something that's been existing, housing stock. Well, they removed those exemptions within the city of Eugene. So when you've got big builders and developers, they might finish out what they're working on, but when they figure out these new rules that are in play, that's going to impact their decision to build more housing. So the problem I have with, with all of this is I look at areas of the country, like you look at New York, you look at Los Angeles, okay? All the places, all the times more rental restrictions have been voted into place, what has happened to rents? They've skyrocketed every single time. It has never solved the problem. And when I look at real estate as a whole and what's a good investment and what's not, it's really interesting to me because the concept's very simple. It's all about supply and demand, right? right? Why are rentals so expensive? 
It's because we have a lack of supply. So how do you fix that problem? It's not by regulation. It's by creating more supply. So how do we create more supply? Well, let's think about that. Let's incentivize builders. Let's incentivize landlords. Okay. And there's a couple of cool things on the horizon. There's good steps in the right direction. They're happening on that end. So when we get legislation that allows ADUs, that's good. That's a step in the right direction for fixing that problem. And when we have more supply, landlords have to have a higher quality product and they have to put their housing on for less rent so that because there's more demand, right? Or less, there's less demand <laughs> anyway but I think I know where you're going yeah it, exactly but it it basically forces rents down when you have greater supply right sure one of the other cool pieces of legislation that's on the horizon is um state of Oregon has passed some rules um about ADUs on rural property so that's cool and Lane County is actually implementing some of that so that's a really great positive thing that I like to see. And then at the state level, they've also proposed that uh, new construction ADUs or converting any existing single family home into a duplex, triplex, or quad, okay, fourplex, right? Uh, there might potentially be property tax exemptions for anywhere from three to five years, okay? Wow. That's at the state level. So the thing is, property taxes, right? Most of that money goes to your city not your state, okay? So the states kind of put the green light on it, but now cities need to adopt it. So that, I think, would be really great. I'd love to see City of Eugene adopt that, Ooh. okay? And get us more housing, right? Because that would help solve the problem. Anyway. Well, um, if, without taking us too far down the rabbit hole, could you kind of tell us a little bit about what Phase 2 brought on the table um, and also what's coming up in phase three. I, I know you said they're really complicated laws, but is there like a, a broad stroke you could kind of give to give our listeners an idea of what's what's on the table? Yeah, so it so phase two changed advertising requirements. It changed screening requirements. It implemented in a lot of cases relocation fees for tenants. Um, all evictions have to go through Eugene City Council. So if I'm a landlord in the city of Eugene, this is, again, my understanding of a very complicated law, so I'm not giving anybody legal advice, but my understanding is if I own a rental property in Eugene and someone is not paying me rent, my tenant, okay, and I notice them and they need to move out, to, in order for me to get my property back and rent it to someone else, I'm going to have to go through Eugene City Council to make that happen, okay? And that's that's going to take time. And in addition to that, um, I, I, may be, uh, I, I may need to pay relocation expenses to that tenant, even though they haven't been paying me rent. Um, and to me, when I, look at, when I look at numbers as an investor, if I have potential that when I rent a property to someone – that I'm hoping will pay me rent and then they don't and I have to go through these steps and if I need to pay relocation expenses then every time I have a door so one door is one rental unit then I I think for me to pencil 
calculate out what I'm going to make on that investment, I think I need to pencil in vacancies. I'm probably going to run into a situation where I'm not going to be able to rent my property for a while. There's big potential that could happen. Um, there's also potential that I may have to pay two to three months of relocation expenses. So for every unit I have, I need to pencil in an extra two to three months that I might have to pay out of rents to my tenant. Okay, so then we add in interest rates where they are and all these things. Does it pencil for me to own anything in the city of Eugene? No. Yeah, that's such a, a weird yeah. um, dynamic. I know there are so many people that think of every situation as these are the haves and these are the have-nots, but we're literally in a situation where it doesn't pencil to buy a rental right now. And then we have the people on the other side who can't afford to pay the rents that are already in existence. Um, so we're definitely going to have to come up with something, a different platform to to make these standards by. Yeah. And one other thing that I'd like to mention also is, you know, we just came off a time period of COVID where there was a lot of rental assistance available for a lot of people. And that did get a lot of people and landlords through some tough moments in the market. Um, but I recently um, had someone I was doing some research for and all of the rental assistance money that I could find is gone. It doesn't exist anymore. And that's part of your process also now is you have to present with your notices to your tenant. Hey, here's options for you to get rental assistance, but now there's no money. So any, anyway, it's, you know, again, I, I think I would love to see us have more units of housing and that would really help drive rent prices slower. Yeah, that seems to be the answer. I hope that the, we get something solid on that soon that we can start implementing. Uh, I know urban growth boundaries, the rumors have been that out past Danabo is going to be um, an urban growth boundary where they're going to expand outward. Um, obviously, that's not going to be enough, but uh, uh, let's hope the folks in charge are thinking about ways to incentivize, incentivize builders and, uh, and property owners for sure. Well, um, we're about out of time. I did want to ask about uh, ask you about the buyers that got left out when the rates hiked happened. Is there something they can be doing right now to prepare for when they're able to buy a home? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I encourage everyone to always be getting ready and prepare themselves, right? You never know when an opportunity is going to happen or fall in your lap or... And, and even speaking to someone who's renting right now, sometimes I've sold properties to my tenants and sometimes that's been an off-market opportunity for them. And you never know what can happen if you put it out there to the universe. So one thing I always encourage my tenants, I try to help my tenants buy homes and invest in real estate, but, you know, I would say, you know, don't don't just write off your landlord as a landlord. They might be a partner for you. Even if they don't sell you that property, they might have something else. And the better you take care of that investment and have a good relationship with that landlord, more doors are going to open. So that's one thing. Another thing is don't over leverage, right? I think it's going to be tempting for a lot of people right now to go, oh, I can't buy a house, but boy, that, that car sure looks shiny over there. And boy, I would really like to drive a sweet car. Well, that sweet car is going to come with a huge payment and a huge interest rate. Um, the car I drive, 
I drive something I picked up at a junkyard with a branded title that's it's great. It's going to run forever and I'll drive it until the wheels fall off. But most of my tenants drive nicer cars than me. That's a choice I make because I choose to invest in real estate. But I would say don't over leverage. Try to pay off those credit cards. Try to work on your credit score. Try to save money if you can and prepare because I don't believe interest rates will stay high forever. I think it's possible 2024 could even bring some magic. Okay. Yeah, presidential well, election. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's going to get interesting. And in this market that we're in right now where rates are very high, there's going to be some sellers who have to sell. And there will be some things that are good deals. Okay. So always be ready and be talking with a loan officer, be working on improving your credit score. Another big tip that I find a lot of people don't know is you know, a lot of people today will use their credit card to pay for everyday, everyday items, and then they'll pay that off every month, right? We get our airline miles, we get points, rewards, whatever. Um, if you're charging more than one third of what you have available to you on your line, that's negative points on your credit. So if you've had your credit card for a while, and you find yourself in that situation because groceries are more expensive and gas is more expensive and all those things, maybe ask your credit card company if they can up your limit on that credit card, okay? Mm. And maybe you're getting better points that way. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I think investing in real estate is, is, is hard and it takes work and it takes dedication. Uh, but if you... If you want to own real estate, you got to figure out what's most important to you. And I would say, don't don't over leverage. Don't finance things that are shiny. <laughs> uh, our our biggest investment tools. We our rule for our house is we do not finance things unless they make us money. So if it's a situation where we would have to finance it, we do not purchase it unless we have money saved up to purchase that item, and that served us very well. Yeah. So. Only finance assets. You heard it here first, folks, from Amanda Bomark. Uh, that was perfect. Per usual, um, you're a wealth of knowledge. And if someone wants to talk more about real estate with you, what's the best way to reach out? Um, so I'm at Cascade uh, Title in Eugene. And probably email is usually best if somebody wants to chat with me. Um, but I'm available on the phone also. Uh, I am a real estate nerd, so I totally get nerdy in phone calls and researching property and I'll dive down rabbit holes. Uh, but I, I love to chat about real estate. Yes, you sure do. And, uh, that's how I got to find out that you knew so much. Um, so which cascade office are you at? Are you the one downtown or are you the one out North village Plaza village mm -hmm. Plaza? Perfect. All right. Well, give Amanda a call at Village Plaza Cascade Title and set a lunch day, and she will fill your head with knowledge as well. Well, uh, that's our show, folks. I want to thank Amanda for coming on today. I want to thank our sponsor, House to Home Construction. I want to thank Patty Rose for producing the show, and I want to thank all of you for listening. Next month's guest is Matthew Gardner. He is the chief economist for Windermere, and he will be giving us his prediction for 2024. Good night, and we'll see you next time. If you have a question for the show, feel free to email us at eugenerealestatepodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to work with Vince Casey as a buyer or seller, please email him at vincecaseyrealestate at gmail.com. 
Be sure to mention this podcast with House to Home Construction to receive up to $500 off any roof bid from a competitor in writing. 